Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Ripless, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for being here. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube if you're watching so you never miss any of the content our team at IC puts out. It hardly takes any time, and it helps us out a great deal. Also, speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us, so that's why I've got to remind everybody about Johnny T-Shirt. Johnny T-Shirt is the go-to shop for all things Carolina apparel. They've got your football jerseys, the retro jerseys Carolina wore. I know Johnny T-Shirt has those, the T-shirts, the hats, and as the weather gets cooler, they've got all the Carolina hoodies and jackets you could possibly want also christmas is approaching so get your holiday shopping done early for the tar heel fan in your life or for yourself by going to johnny t-shirt.com or you could visit them right on franklin street and don't forget inside carolina premium subscribers save 10 percent off their orders all right let's get to it as always i'm joined by my fellow carolina football letterman mike ingersoll and ej wilson Guys, in a game unlike anything I've ever seen before, Carolina beats Wake Forest 59-53 to after scoring 35 unanswered points in that second half to complete a 21-point comeback. Mike, starting with you, what were your uh, general takeaways from this game? Um, I, I guess we have to score 60 points to beat people, and if we don't get over that, Notre Dame is going to roll our next week. Um, that's just – that's just the way it is. Um, but I saw some good things in pass protection. I saw some guys that were playing, um, uh, like McKeithen, who hasn't gotten a ton of snaps, or at least not as many as I would expect this season. Um, I saw some good things out of some of those guys. Um, saw good things out of the offensive line generally, particularly in the run game, um, which I think in the second half was, was a little more obvious than in the first half. But um, – it, it, there's 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 a lot to work on both offensively and defensively um we'll get to that the one thing i'm still a little concerned about is clock management uh particularly in two minute situations or hurry up situations um and i i ticked off at least two separate instances we were under a minute and uh at one point we had 11 seconds in between a play and then uh, 18 seconds between another play um it was actually the play right before we threw the debatable interception to Deami Brown there on the one yard line uh, down the sideline. But, you know, the play right before that, you know, we, or, or to get to that play, I should say we ate 18 seconds off the clock in a situation where we could have really used those 18 seconds. Um, a play or two before that, we, we ticked off 11 seconds of game clock. Um, I don't understand how that's possible in a hurry up situation, particularly when you run a no huddle offense. So we've got some things we have to work on in terms of clock management, um, situational management, but overall execution, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty good day offensively. EJ will get to defensively, obviously. EJ, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways from this game? The biggest takeaway is that 
for one half of football, we look like the same – sorry to be harsh, but same incompetent defense that we look like all season. I mean, we couldn't stop anything. It, it, it looked like it was seven-on-seven seven or something out there. We had no pass rush, no pressure on the quarterback. So he had all day to stand back there and, and throw the ball. And as usual, we gave up way too many big plays, especially in the running game. I mean, we almost gave we almost gave up a season's worth of rushing yards, I mean, or in to, total offense in one game. And – it's just kind of bad to see, but something that we've always talked about is just our, our, with the type of offense that we have, our defense putting us in the position to win. And I do think that from about the middle of the third quarter on through the end of the game, they played the type of defense that I think pairs as well with our offense. I mean, we, we were able to get pressure on the quarterback. I mean, we, you and I were talking off air about uh, Vohasek and, and how he's just had the best grade of anyone on defense and how he's just kind of becoming a bigger presence uh, in the pass rush game as he is controlling the line of scrimmage on running plays. So, I mean, that was good to see some of that in the second half, but I think we're yet to put a complete game together. And there's still a lot of things that worry me, uh, the pass rush, the the missed assignments in the, in the uh, coverage game, but Wake Forest's receivers also made a lot of great plays. I mean, I have, one um, in my notes, one play where we had a had a great blitz call, great pressure on the quarterback. It's just the wide receiver made a better play and made a better catch over our DB. So, I mean, it, it's not as bad as it has been, but I think that we just kind of ran into one of those days where both offenses were clicking, and I'm just glad our defense was able to to kind of stop the stop the floodwaters before they got too bad and kind of ran in enough for our offense to save the day for us. And we finally, like Mike said, we finally found out how many points it takes for us to win a game, and it's 59 to 60 points. Yeah, for my takeaways going off that, it's, it's encouraging that your offense can score 59 points, but it's also pretty discouraging that it took 59 points to beat a team like Wake Forest. That first half defensive performance from both both teams, frankly, was uh, awful, dreadful. Any any word that you could kind of find to describe that. Carolina was down 11 at half after giving up 395 yards and 35 points in one half of football. Um, but then you also have to – you can't ask for your takeaways in this game without mentioning a player like Sam Howell, where I, I think I've mentioned it you're always going to have a chance in a game, no matter how bad the defense is, when you have a guy like Sam Howell and all the talent really around this Carolina offense. Um, So it's encouraging to have a player like Sam Howell. It's encouraging to have a great offense. It's uh, discouraging because if Carolina shows up that way against Notre Dame, that game's going to be over by the time the first quarter's even over. Um, But on the same side, this is still a young team. They overcame a 21-point deficit, tied the largest comeback in school history, um, which was the 2015 game against Georgia Tech, which was also the last year that Carolina went 3-0 against State, Duke, and Wake Forest. So it is pretty encouraging in that regards. Um, but f- before we get to the football technical standpoint, what were your guys' thoughts on the uniforms, EJ? The uniforms were amazing. I mean, I kind of thought, I mean, when you think about in the grand scheme of things, the Carolina uniforms, up until the last, I'll say, five to six years, we we really didn't see too much variation, or so we thought. I mean, you see all the chrome helmets, you see the dark dark blue jerseys, the blue jerseys, all that stuff looks cool, but 
to kind of take it back to something that's really simple, classic. I mean, it looked great to me. And I think what really stood out to me was kind of the, the throwback letter and the throwback shadowing on the letters. I mean, it, it just looked really good. And I mean, it, it, I think our uh, defense thought that there were basketball jerseys, so we gave up basketball amount of points. But other than that, I enjoyed everything about those uniforms. Man. <laughs> Mike, what do you think about the uniforms? I loved them. I mean, we were asking to get those throwbacks when we played. Um, they, they are, in my opinion, some people disagree with me. In my opinion, I think those are the best Carolina football uniforms that, that we've ever had. Um, I am a big fan of having the Argyle kind of uh, implemented throughout the, the uniform now. I think our uniforms now are very clean. But those Carolina uniforms with Carolina across the shoulder there um, with the striping, it just looks, it looks classic. And then you add in that that very, that super traditional old school, sh you know, shadowing on the numbers like EJ was talking about. The whole thing just pops and it looks really good. Um, you know, they even had the helmet stickers, the little foot, the Tar Heel foot <laughs> helmet stickers on the back of the helmet, um, really bringing it back to the old Mac Brown days. So, I mean, I thought, it, I thought they were exceptional. I'd like to see them more often. Um, I wouldn't at all hate it if we pulled a Virginia Tech and left the modern uniform trend behind and started adopting our throwbacks as sort of our primary uniforms and just worked off of those for a few years. Yeah, I jokingly tweeted that my biggest takeaway from the game was that I wish these uniforms were here to stay forever, but that is kind of how I feel with, like, I understand the, the thought process behind wanting the Argyle, but kind of like you guys were saying, th that uniform just looked so clean and so simple, and it was kind of unique to that late 90s era of Carolina football where you had um, guys like Dre Bly and um, a defense that was a heck of a lot better than that first half performance. But um, getting to the football questions, Mike, I want to start by giving Sam Howell his props. He throws for 550 passing yards. He throws for six touchdowns. He has the game-winning rushing touchdown. Um, both the passing yards and passing touchdowns were school records. It's an ACC record for most total touchdowns from a quarterback. How do you try to put into words the performance that we saw from Howell on Saturday? I mean, it was, just, it was near perfect. Um, it was record setting. It was extremely impressive for a sophomore, um, a sophomore who's put up pretty impressive performances before. And it seems like every single week we're talking about with Sam, you know, we're looking at, you know, early in the year, it was 200 some odd yards here, 200 some odd yards there. But, you know, those were, as I'm seeing now, flukes, maybe just the product of a weird offseason like we talked about those first couple of weeks. You know, what we're seeing now is, you know, record-setting Sam Howell, you know, three, four, 500 yards a game like we saw last year as a freshman. We're starting to see more of that now as a sophomore. Um, you know, and it's really uh, – it's encouraging. It's exciting to know that we've got another year of this. Um, you always wonder or you worry, I guess, with a guy like that um, – you know, what happens if he doesn't have the pieces around him that he currently has? What if he doesn't have the talent in the backfield that he currently has with Carter and Williams? What if he doesn't have some of the uh, receiver support that he's got on the outside right now? Is he still the same player? I think next year we're going to find out. Um, we're going we're gonna to know how good Sam Howell really is next year because I'd be willing to bet that Diami's gone, Daz is gone, Carter's gone, Williams gone. Um, he's going to lose a lot of pieces. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, Bo, this being a freebie year, Bo Corrales will be back after being injured for most of the year. Bo is a great possession receiver. Um, he's a big help for him. Um, you know, I think that British Brooks is going to be a very good player in that backfield, you know, but we've grown so accustomed to seeing so much production around Sam 
um, that I think complements him well and opens the door for him to do amazing things like we saw against Wake Forest. Um, the, the other concern I have is that what happens if Sam has a bad day? You know, we jokingly say we got to drop 60 points to beat people, like 59, 60 points. That's our sweet spot. What happens if, if, if Sam's having a kind of day where we're only putting up 17 or 21 points? Can we beat a team in a low-scoring game? And I don't, I, don't know that, I don't know that we can assume that any game with us would be a low-scoring game. You know, with all, with all due respect to the guys that are out there humping it and, and doing their best on defense, the production is just not there right now. You know, going in this last little stretch of the season, these final three games, I mean, I don't know if this defense is capable of holding people under 21 points. Um, certainly I, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be that, that team. I don't think Miami is going to be that team. Maybe Western Carolina, they can hold under 21 points, but I mean, a team like Syracuse, Wake Forest is very good offensively, right? They, they still should not have put up over 50 points on our defense. Right. And we needed a performance like we saw out of Sam to pull that game out. What happens when Sam's having an off day? He's human. He's a football player. He might get sick. He might get injured. He might just be having a rough, a rough week. Um, what happens if we don't have him? Do we have the pieces around him that can pick up the slack? I'm not so sure about that. I think the offense begins and ends with Sam. And without that safety valve, um, without that stellar quarterback play, I'm concerned at our ability to produce and ultimately dig out a game. Yeah, to answer that question, no, I don't think this Carolina team can survive a game without Sam Howell right now. And looking at the the his um, weapons coming back. You should have a guy like Bo Corrales. It's going to be interesting to see what Deami Brown does, but I think right now, in my opinion, he would be leaning towards leaving just because of how productive he's been. Javante, Michael Carter, we've kind of talked about that we think they're going to go, but you do have a guy like Emery Simmons waiting for more opportunities. You have a guy like Choffrey Brown waiting for more opportunities. Um, but two touchdowns, Ray touchdowns. Rose. Yeah, there's a, there is yeah. a ton of talent and, We've, we've seen that the problem for Carolina teams hasn't been recruiting the skill positions. Like, if this team is going to struggle, you wouldn't think it's going to be coming from those spots. But two stats I had that I wanted to mention before um, going to EJ and talking about this defense. Through their first 21 games, Sam Howell has 6,272 passing yards. Compared to Trevor Lawrence, has 4,581 passing yards. Sam Howell, 66 touchdowns. 13 interceptions at this point Trevor Lawrence had 45 touchdowns 10 interceptions now the biggest difference is Sam Howell's 13 and 8 through those 21 games and um, a guy like Trevor Lawrence was 21 and 0 but I don't think you could really use the records to fully tell the story because if this Carolina team doesn't have Sam Howell kind of like I mentioned I mean, this this team's probably not even 500. This is a team that won five games in two years before he got there. And then also, North Carolina is plus 133 in the fourth quarter over the last two seasons. Sam Howell specifically is completing 66% of his passes, 17 passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, zero turnovers, which is probably the biggest thing in that. And it, it helps that this Carolina team is playing from behind a lot, but they also have a pretty special quarterback in Sam Howell, who's probably going to be the first quarterback that hears his name called in the 2022 NFL draft. And unless somebody comes out of nowhere at this point, but EJ enough, enough of the positives for a minute. It's worrying that Carolina's offense has to put up the numbers. It did bring us back to earth, EJ. Yeah, that will. was, 
the only reason this was a game was because the defense gave up 35 points and 395 yards in that first half, like I mentioned. What were you seeing, and why was it so bad? And why was this? And why was the punt in the middle of the second quarter not the end of the game, like I predicted when it happened? <laughs> what I saw was, as I mentioned, it's just the poorest defense in general. I, it, it's kind of hard to explain because it got to a point where what I was watching was so bad. I tried to not watch. I tried to pay attention as much as I can to speak <laughs> to speak knowledge about it on this podcast here today, but we all saw the Ole defense that happened. I mean, we, we were out of position. We were missing assignments. We weren't getting pressure on the quarterback when we should have been getting pressure on the quarterback, which allowed him to stand in the pocket and allowed those wide receivers to make plays. I mean, even sometimes when well, we, we ran a great pressure and, um, and, and the blitzer got home, some, their wide receivers were just making plays. I think we kind of ran up against an offense that knew that they were playing against a, a weaker defense. They knew that we had problems uh, with our plan assignment and sound football, and they took advantage of that. That was a group that came out there. They played more disciplined than us. In the first half, they even played more physical than us, which I was really disappointed to see, especially with how our defensive line's kind of been playing. Yeah, it's, it's been poor, and so they've missed some assignments, but at least we've been, we brought a certain level of physicality to these games. And, I mean, of course, we saw more consistent play from Ray Vahasek, and Miles Murphy is, is really turning out to be exactly what we thought he's going to be. But we need more help on the edge of that defense. You saw a lot of those big plays bouncing outside to where our, our staff up in should be and I just don't think they're they're holding up integrity they're peeking in and, and they're letting the tight ends and these offensive linemen position block them. I'm not saying that they're necessarily getting out physical but when I can just turn my hips and, and take you completely out of the play for a cutback then I'm going to do that and that's a lot of what I saw um in the second half, uh, you saw a team that was determined. I think they really understood or, or maybe they went and popped our podcast in and said that our offense is going to score 45 50 hey, even 60 points, we just need you to hold these guys and, and slow down the bleeding. And I think we were able to do that throughout the, uh, throughout the second half. Um, I don't know why we can't do that the whole game. I mean, it's the same personnel out there, but I will give kudos to Chad Surratt for coming through and making one of the best plays, I think, and what I think will be one of the signature plays of his career uh, at linebacker when he got that sack to kind of seal the deal on the game. But we, we got a big game out of him, a big day out of him. I, I know some fans and other people have been kind of hard on him. Uh, and as we talked about in the last, last podcast, he's overcompensating for some of the mistakes that his teammates are making, and he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. But I think he played a lot. I think he really played within his talent, within his comfort level, and he led our defense to a good second half. Now, I don't think we have the cal. I, I, I think this defense instantly makes us, takes us out of the running to talk about really seriously competing for the ACC championship. I mean, it's time to kind of get blunt and real. We, we could end up somehow luckily playing for this game, but we don't have the caliber of defense that, that can do that. We don't have the defense that can make a big play, get a big takeaway, get a big sack, or get a big stop, or, as Mike mentioned, even hold somebody under 21 points. I just don't think we have the caliber of defense to do that. I do think to be uh, over these next few games that we have coming up, I do think it's going to take some Herculean effort from our offense to pull the, if we have a chance in these games. I think it's going to take some maybe another record-breaking performance from uh, Williams and Carter, another record-breaking breaking performance from Howell to pull these games out. It's just really fearful. I, I'm honestly to the point now where I don't have any confidence in our defense. I just hope we score somehow figure out a way to score more points than other teams. That Notre Dame offensive line is coming up to town for that D line. Oh yeah, and that Notre Dame offensive line is real. No, listen, yeah, I'm not. Man. I'm I'm very critical of offensive linemen. That Notre Dame offensive line, 
from left tackle to right tackle and everybody in between, those kids can play and they're Mm -hmm. big. And I mean, you saw what they did to Clemson with a slightly depleted defensive line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Listen, I think we got some good defensive linemen, particularly on the inside, right? But Clemson is a different animal. There's a reason why they recruit the number one, two, three, four recruiting class every single year. Like they, they are loaded on the defensive line, even when they're, even when they have injuries mm-hmm. and that Notre Dame offensive line did whatever they wanted to do to those boys. So our, our D line is going to have some work cut out for them. I've seen crazier stuff happen. I mean, I watched, I watched very, a very similar roster last year, right here in Chapel Hill, take number one Clemson down to the wire. So, I mean, we've <laughs> seen some crazier stuff, um, but you know, that, that Notre Dame offensive line is coming, and they better have a plan. Yeah, uh, going along with the defense and kind of tying in the offense, the only problem with the historic offense, and I mentioned this in my postgame video, is that their margin for error paired with this defense is so small, it does feel like you have to score a touchdown on every drive, and that's putting a ton of pressure on one side of the ball. And, you know, when you look at the defense and – kind of what went wrong it seemed like they lost contain a bunch on the outside it seemed like they couldn't cover over the middle now I don't know if it's the secondary necessary necessarily um, or just putting linebackers in coverage and the linebackers like Gemmel just can't stay with a faster guy but something changed where you take out uh, Dede Hollins you take out um, you take out Dede Hollins you take out um, who's the other safety? Not Don Chapman. Oh, you take out Cam Kelly, and then mm-hmm. you rotate Trey Morrison back to safety. Tony Grimes comes in at corner, uh, and then Jaquarius Conley. So Carolina, in that second half, they were relying on a lot of the younger guys, and the younger guys seemingly got the job done and gave this Carolina team a chance. But, EJ, from a schematic standpoint, what did you see from this Carolina defense in that second half that kind of led to them? Um, having the chance to get back in a game? I think it, a lot of it was some of the the, the changing of personnel that we saw. But I, I re, honestly, I didn't see a different defense schematically than we always see. And, and this is something that we talk about. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to change things schematically for, with a defense if you're game playing against the offense because the offense is just going to do more of the same. It's more so reading your keys, playing sound football. And I think that's more of what we saw. I think that a lot more of our pressures got home and we got a lot more pressure on the quarterback. That's when you saw sack numbers. I I really think that that was part of the difference in our game. Maybe putting some of the younger guys in um, allowed um, our guys a a better chance to get there. But, I mean, Hartman wasn't as comfortable in the the second half as he was in the first half. So I don't think anything really changed X's and O's wise. I think the guys just kind of nailed down. We got some fresh blood on the field. And they nailed down on their assignments. And we got a Herculean effort from our leader. And, I mean, you even saw Gimbal come through. Yeah, he struggled a little bit with – I mean, he's guarding wide receivers. He's in position. But at that point, I mean, that's simply athleticism against athleticism. And he did the best job that you can really expect him to do in that situation. Uh, So, I think that that's one of the things we changed when they did switch those safeties. I think some of those coverage things – some of that coverage changed. But – for the most part, it was – I think it was making them uncomfortable in the backfield. Um, I, I really do have confidence in this defense, and I think that when we go out and we execute, I really think that we can play the type of football that we played in the second half. But for some reason, it, it, it takes some sort of drastic personnel change or something for things to click. Uh, a couple or, 30 of points, ago, or 30 points dropped on you in the first half, a la Florida yeah. State, UVA, Wake Forest, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder what that, that halftime talk was like because I can't imagine it. It was pretty in there. 
It wasn't oh, no, pretty. It was nothing that could be played on any type of media outlet or anything <laughs> that could be posted on their social media. So um, I, I, I don't. It's nothing that the, the the general public will probably be comfortable with hearing. But something needed to be happened. I mean, something needed to happen because you could see after that first uh, touchdown that Wake Forest scored in the second half that the defense kind of woke up and they started making some big time plays. Uh, and whatever whatever needs to be said, I think that needs, just needs to be the pregame speech from now on. Maybe they should, we should just do something where our defense just imagine that we're down by 35, but and then maybe we'll start to play play a little bit tougher. But, I mean, like you said, I really don't have any confidence that if <laughs> if we don't score 45 to 60 points that we can win a game right now. And that's including against Western Carolina. <laughs> Yeah, it looked Yikes. like yeah, Yikes. it looked like they started to kind of sell out the run, and then with those new guys in the secondary, we're giving them a better chance to cover. So mm-hmm. it would be something to look forward to in the Notre Dame game to see if they can kind of replicate that. But the talent level from Wake Forest to Notre Dame, like everybody's kind of hinted, is is pretty drastic. So it's something where even if those guys, if you have a guy. Um, like Tony Grimes and like Jaquarius Conley come in and they're struggling. Like, I don't think that's really an indication to how well this, this future of this defense can be because putting those guys in against teams like Notre Dame, it's asking a lot. And that pass rush is most likely going to be slowed down against a Notre Dame offensive line. I think I saw a stat. They returned like 130 something starts from, uh, over their careers going into this year. And it's a, it's an offensive line that just keeps getting better. But Mike, we gave Sam Howell his credit earlier, but this entire offense contributed to a program record, 742 yards. That almost looks like a typo reading that out, but looking at all the contributors on offense, we we've talked about the running backs a lot, Javante Williams and Michael Carter, they're special, but Deami Brown and Daz Newsome combined for 352 receiving yards and four touchdowns on Saturday. How ridiculous is it that Carolina has this much NFL talent on its offense? I mean, we've seen it before, right? We saw it in 2015. We saw it. Um, we saw it in 2016 with, with Mitch. Um, you know, the, they've had, They've been loaded on the offensive side of the ball before in the very recent past, um, not so much on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, and that's, and you see where the imbalance happens there and sort of what, you know, ultimately will happen to a team like that, right? They'll, they'll win games that they, um, they'll win most games that they should win. They'll win a couple games they shouldn't win and there'll be a bunch of head scratchers mixed in, you know, Florida State, UVA being head scratchers, giving up as many points as we did to Syracuse, head scratcher, 53 points a Wake Forest, who's a good offense in their own right, but not 53 points worth of offense, right? I mean, that's a head scratcher. So, um, yeah, I think this goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, the weapons that Sam has around him um, and the support system he has around him. The reason, you know, Sam is incredibly talented, um, but part of the reason why he's able to be as successful as he is, as young as he is, is also because of the people that he has around him from a personnel standpoint. He does have a embarrassment of riches of, of NFL talent, whether those guys are pro bowlers or even NFL starters, doesn't matter. They are, for the most part, draft picks. Um, you know, you've got uh, Javante Williams makes your life a whole lot easier because every single time you hand the ball off to that guy, he's going to break 19 and a half tackles and he's you know going to get 16 yards after contact. I mean, it's just going to happen. Um, you know, and that's, that's if, you know, everybody goes one way and he goes the other way. He's still going to get you yards somehow, somehow, some way. That safety valve for Sam 
makes Sam a much more effective safety valve for our offense and for our team. Um, having, having guys that you can rely on to get open, I hesitate to say catch the ball because we've had the dropsies this year in, in, in various games. Um, but having guys you can count on to get open that are just mismatches from a talent perspective um, against the guys that they're lined up against, like De'Ami Brown, um, you know, like a Daz Newsome, um, speed, route running ability. I mean, Daz is – there's a reason he was on the Blitnikoff watch list, you know, preseason. Um, that sort of stuff really complements Sam's game well. Um, those, go, those are the types of guys that are good enough athletes that when you get into a scramble drill or, you know, you, you play is breaking down a little bit, Sam's holding on to the ball for a little too long, which we've seen Sam has, you know, the tendency to do. Um, those guys are able to get open – um, get off of their route assignments and get open and give him a, you know, give him a, you know, a nice secondary option to get the ball to. So, you know, a lot of that is just mismatches from an athletic standpoint. Um, so, yeah, I think you hit on a great point that, you know, he's got all this NFL talent around him. We've seen the success that can give players, you know, like a Marquise Williams, like a Mitch Trubisky, when you are just completely surrounded by, you know, future NFL talent um, or guys that will at least get a shot because there's not a lot of guys in college that get a shot, right? So if you're surrounded by guys that at least get a shot, you know, they should be at least a step better than the guys are lined up against. And that's a recipe for success, you know, at least on one side of the ball. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, this offense is going to draw the most comparisons to the 2015 UNC team and to a lesser extent, the 2016 UNC team. But where where this team just feels different and feels like a step above that team is that some of these players, every time they touch the ball, it almost feels like you're expecting them to take it for a touchdown. Like every time the ball's in Daz Newsom's hand, it feels like he's going for six. Choffrey Brown, Deami Brown, um, Every time Javante Williams and Michael Carter feels like they're they're one play away from breaking a play for a touchdown, where in the 2015 team you had a guy like Elijah Hood who was more like he'll wear a defense down and then he'll have like a 20-yard rush, a 20-yard rush here and there. Um, and then a guy like T.J. Logan was kind of uh, more of a compliment back instead of like uh, – Two, two equals, which it feels like Michael Carter and Javante Williams are at this point with how equal their touches are. And then 
You look at my, so, Michael Carter's yoked. I mean, you go, the, this kid flashed across my screen yesterday and his bicep was about to, about to rip off his bone. I mean, this kid is huge. When he scored I, the touchdown. The yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> he, and, and I don't think that's, you know, they talk about thunder and lightning with these guys. You hear that comparison a lot. That's kind of the cliche comparison when yeah. you got a, a solid running back duo. But I mean, both these guys are power backs when they yeah. want to be. I mean, Michael Carter is a big dude. He's much bigger than he was last year. Yeah. Um, he, he put on some size and obviously Javante is, you know, Hercules back there. But, I mean, they're, they're, you know, don't sleep on Michael Carter. I mean, that kid is a weight room warrior in his own right. And then comparing the receivers from the 2015 and the 2020 team, the, the drop rate is significantly higher for this 2020 team, and that's really their only major flaw as a unit. But you look at, like, guys like Quinchad. Quinchad was awesome, probably one of the best receivers. He still has the – the touchdowns uh, record for a career, I think it's 25. De'Ami Brown's at 21. So he's, he's slowly hawking them down with, with uh, two games and then a, blow, a bowl game for that record. But Quinshaw was more of a possession-type receiver where against, like, the Virginias, he would just have, like, 16 catches a game for, like, 140 yards. Um, and you had guys like Switzer and Matt Collins who it felt like they could – take it for six every time but this this team it just feels different where the sense that every option basically for this offense feels like they can take it all the way um well you worry about wasting that too like that goes back to the point we made after the uva game lauren brownlow had that article about you know we're in danger of, of squandering a a historic unc offense i i, I don't think that's changed in the last couple of weeks um you know this 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 is an offense that can put up 59 60 some odd points whenever they want to almost automatically um you know you don't want them to need to do that but they can clearly do it um it's an offense where it's an offense where this team has an average to even slightly below average defense yeah they're eight and oh yeah we're sitting here we're sitting that's what was my next point we're sitting here with two losses that we shouldn't have and and frankly if we were undefeated i don't know that we're better than the number 20 team in the country from an overall talent standpoint our special teams has got awful um, you know, they managed to get off the field yesterday without any major blunders, but, you know, coverage teams still aren't great. You know, it's not something that gets a lot of attention, but our coverage teams aren't great. Um, so I, there's, there, there's, there, there's, there's issues here um, that really concerns me that we are seeing, we are seeing an offense that could set a lot of records and make a lot of noise on a national, on the national stage. And they're not going to, ha- they're obviously not going to have that opportunity now because they're going to have at least two losses at the end of the season. Um, but even if they were undefeated at this point, I don't know that this is the kind of team that you want to roll into the playoff against Alabama or Ohio State. Yeah, people – Not yet. They can be, but not yet. People have either, like, tweeted at me or replied to tweets saying, like, why isn't Javante Williams and Sam Howell and the Heisman conversation? They're not going to give it to a team that's going into mid-November unranked with two losses. Correct. They're not even going to be playing in the conference championship most likely. But, Mike, a follow-up question I had for you for this offense is you have all this talent, and at the same time you have a a former walk-on. I believe he was on scholarship last year. I don't know if he's been placed on scholarship for this year. Uh, Kieran Johnson starting at center, which was a pretty tall task replacing a guy who's been as steady as Brian Anderson – who was out injured. How do you think Q did? And how do you think the offensive line played overall? Brian was out with an ankle, right? Yeah. Well, what's he doing in full pads, standing on the sideline for three and a half hours? Isn't that bad for an ankle? (laughs) 
I, you, that's you a, as a side point. That's just something <laughs> I noticed in the game. That I was like, what's, what's I this think guy was, doing? I think he went through warm-ups, and it was heavily taped. So I trust – I trust Sioka. I trust all those guys. I trust Luke there in the training room. I just seem weird. It was weird. probably more of an emergency weird. situation. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we don't have him out there standing on that ankle that was so bad he couldn't, <laughs> couldn't play the game. Um, no, but, I mean, having, having Carrion come in uh, at center was huge. I actually watched him. Uh, from the from the beginning of the game on, and I thought for the most part he played pretty well. There was some there was some rust there. There were some issues um, just from having not gotten a ton of snaps. Um, you know, there was also some shuffling that happened there on the on the inside on the interior of the line that um, you know might have contributed to him not looking as good as he could have. But I think overall he 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 played well. The one thing I did notice um, that was pretty obvious early on was that the um, um, shotgun snaps weren't getting back there as crisply or as fast. Now there weren't issues. They weren't errant, right? They weren't over here. They weren't low. They weren't high. They weren't, they were where they needed to be. They're just, there wasn't a ton of zip on them. It wasn't the same zip that you'd see from, from Brian Anderson. And that's the one thing that when you watch a center rotate out and a new center come in, um, you should always pay attention to for, for the fans, right? Watch the snap exchange. Um, even in, even where there's not a muff snap or a bad snap, um, you know, where it, so I'm swatting bugs out of my face here for those watching on YouTube. Um, the um, wherever there's not, even when there's not a bad snap or something that results in a turnover, right. And the ball goes on the ground snap timing or a slightly off snap, right. Where quarterbacks got to um, get his hands back on the ball, or maybe he has to stay in there a little bit longer because the ball's not being snapped back there as quickly as normal um, or as quick as he's used to. We'll throw the timing of an entire playoff. These are the sort of things, small things that ultimately have a big ripple effect on the execution of a play and that can ultimately stall out an entire drive. Um, I didn't see that. That wasn't a, that wasn't a concern. Um, well, I guess I should, I should say that was a concern I had in the beginning. It was ultimately alleviated after the first couple series when I saw that there weren't going to be exchange problems between Sam and Carrion. So um, I thought overall he did a good job. Um, I think it's important that you have a guy like that that can rotate in. Um, you know, he's, he, he just got more game experience. And I think he's had, you know, this whole year so far, he's a guy that if Brian goes down or if he's still down with this ankle, I'm comfortable having him line up next week and play, you know, against Notre Dame, um, which I think a lot of the thinking might, you know, might've been, let's get Brian as healthy as we can now sit him against wake a game we should win. Although we almost didn't um, sit him against wake. And then we've got him healthier for Notre Dame when we really do need him. The other, you know, uh, secondary benefit is that if Brian's not able to go, you now got a kid in there who's got a full game of experience beforehand, a full game of rapport built up with, with his quarterback in terms of snap exchange and the guys that are playing alongside him on the offensive line. So you got a little more continuity there. You can feel more comfortable and more confident with that offensive line combination rolling out there against Notre Dame next week. For the people who are just listening to this podcast, you're missing a, a visual masterpiece being put on. Mike was swatting flies. My dog was in the picture before. Uh, just trying to keep it a little professional. <laughs> EJ, EJ just looks like EJ. <laughs> Take that as you will. But EJ's tr- <laughs> EJ, going back to you, um, I had mentioned earlier in the second half, it looked like just to me, Carolina was selling out to stop the run and the D line started getting more penetration and they started getting a pass rush and which is, it's going to open up a game for Chaz Surratt, like you mentioned earlier. And I just wanted to include his stats. He, including his game stealing, uh, his game stealing sack where he took the bow to the crowd, which I thought was 
uh, a pretty awesome moment. He had 14 tackles, a crowd. two tackles for a loss, and he had that sack. He played all 95 snaps on defense. Going more in detail, what did you think of his performance on Saturday? I thought it was absolutely amazing. I thought you saw a lot of him helping a lot of guys out, get guys in a position. And I think that he was, I think that his adjustment and being, having, knowing that he has to compensate for everyone, I think he kind of, he, he intensified his awareness. It just seems to me that he had a better flow and a better understanding of what was going to happen. I think that maybe when they went back in the second half, there was some, some lineup or um, adjustment uh, or lineup or just positioning uh, stuff that was done. But overall, like I said, I, I think they, they had him lined up the same, about the same way all game. But he just went out there and he played his heart out. I, I think that he, he kind of is just taking it on his shoulders that he has to be the man for this defense. He has to be he has to be sideline to sideline. He has to make some of those big splash plays like he did at the end of the game. And, and we're just seeing a more sound game from him. You didn't see the missed tackles. So I don't think that he's pressing. I think that he has a better understanding. I think that he understands that, yeah, some, sometimes guys are going to make mistakes. It's not my job to necessarily make up for them, but I can damn sure try. And I, and I think that's what he's doing. I think he's locking down his assignments. I saw him play a lot more physical uh, near the line of scrimmage uh, in the second half of the game, and I think he set the tone for the rest of the team. And you saw a, a lot more push, a lot more knockback uh, – by our defensive linemen. I mean, you're always going to get that for number 51, but you saw some of the uh, younger guys come in, get some tackles for loss, get some sacks, and, and that's what you want to see. I mean, I think there's naturally going to be a drop-off from them uh, to our first defensive line, but that's just because of the incredible rate, play of guys like Ray. But if those guys can come out there, if they can take up those linemen and continue to keep Chaz clean, I think we're going to continue to see games like this. And uh, hopefully uh, over the next couple of weeks, I hope he can get some rest and get some really intense film uh, study going because we're going to need him against Miami and, uh, and Notre Dame. I think that he's one of the athletes that we do have on defense that's comparable to some of the athletes he's going to be lined up against. So I think guys like him, Vohasic, uh, Jeremiah Gimmel, um, those guys are going to have a big day ahead of them, and we're going to really need some big plays out of them if we even stand a chance of not giving up 100 points. Did you see that sack that Vohadic had where he, he spun between a double team? He split a double team on a spin, mm-hmm. but he was only halfway through his spin when he hit the double team and then just basically mm-hmm. walked backwards through the double team and mm-hmm. then got a sack? That's what you call a jumbo athlete, Mike. That's what you, call, that's what you call an EJ, an EJ Wilson spin move? <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I mean, that was that was. I mean, that was pure power. I mean, that was just. I could. I couldn't get over that when I saw it. And I thought, no, oh, EJ's gonna have something to say about that. EJ didn't. I had to prompt him. So, you know, thanks for <laughs> thanks, thanks for disappointing me again, EJ. Appreciate it. Yeah. Between, oh, you're welcome. Uh, is Neek in the room? I saw the light come on behind you. Is Neek back there? Oh, Neek can't hear me because you got a headset. <laughs> I was gonna yell at her. Mm-hmm. Chaz, Chaz EJ's Rash. married, by the way. For those of you that are surprised by that. Chesaret playing 95 plays on defense is crazy, especially when you consider, you know, his effort level from they had 95 plays. Yeah, effort level snap one. That's a lot of not executing. To, to still be able to turn it on the way he was able to in that second half and start creating the, that pressure, which kind of opened up the game. That was huge for Carolina and EJ. With your experience having been in locker rooms and having played on some good Carolina defenses and going on and playing in the NFL, this is a young and inexperienced defense that has struggled to say the least at times. How important is, how important is it for them to have a player like Surratt that 
they can look to and try to follow his lead when you see a guy who's that good working that hard all the time. Well, the good news here, if I can interrupt, is that they're getting 100 plays of game rep practice every single week, apparently. Sorry, go ahead. Which is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> they like, should, I, have, I, they I, should have 60, but, you know, they're getting, they're getting an extra, you know, they're getting, they're getting two and a half – they're getting about one and a half times the amount of plays they should be running. I digress. Go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> Taylor. Sorry, EJ. You, you think about some of the defenses that we played on. Um, the, the same defense that we had in 2009 that was going to the, the postseason, ranked number two against the run, is the same defense that was there in 2006 and 2007 that looked eerily similar to the, some of the defense that we're seeing played now. Not as bad, but eerily similar. to, to and, and I think what really turned around was some of those leaders and some of that talent that we did have. We, have, um, we had Tremaine Goddard, who was one of, the, one of the best players in North Carolina high school football history and was an outstanding player for us at UNC. He was that leader for us. I mean, he was only a year ahead of us, um, probably two years for some of us redshirt guys. But for a long time, he was a really talented player on a not-so-good defense. So he was able to, to kind of keep our heads up. We saw him going out there selling out even though we were down uh, sometimes 30, uh, 40 points. But he was still going out there and playing his heart out and still sacrificing himself even though he had NFL aspirations. So I think that he, he's going to set the tempo and set the example for some of those future leaders. And when he's gone on and doing great things in the NFL, the guys are going to remember the example that he set, and they're going to set the example for those young guys coming on. And that's when you're going to start to see a change in some of the culture and how defense is played at Carolina. Because it seems like over the last five or six years, there's just not a culture of defense. I mean, we've had some guys who've been drafted into the NFL who are on rosters right now, some who are even starter, who are in this defense. So the talent level obviously seems to be there, at least the guys on the next level do. But I think defense is an attitude and a culture. When Coach Davis and, and uh, Coach Blake, uh, rest in peace to him, came in our defense, it changed. It changed our mentality. It changed how we approached the games, the preparation. It changed how we how we took on knowing what, what the guy beside us was supposed to be doing that can make us interchangeable just in case a guy go down. We could have the next man up mentality. So I think that de defense is one of those things. It's a culture thing. I mean, offense, you can plug and play some of that talent and get a lot of NFL talent like, like you've seen that we have now in different schemes and do that. But if you have guys who don't have a certain mentality, doesn't matter what system you're running or what the X's and O's are, it's just not going to happen. And, and you're going to see a, a, a team and a program that's going to continue, continue to be okay with playing subpar defense. And that's just not going to work. So he, he needs to be that change. And, and his legacy needs to be that he changed the culture at UNC back to the defensive program. All right, guys, I have to double check, but I'm pretty sure there's no podcast next week with the bye week. So we'll be back after the Notre Dame game to break it all down. It's interesting. The roles are kind of reversed for this Carolina team where they're normally the hunted and now they get a chance to knock off a top five team at home. That game is Friday, November 27, 3.30 kickoff on ABC kind of bummed it's not going to be a noon kickoff but Carolina looks to protect its home field advantage where the we're going to look great till the sun goes down <laughs> the Tar Heels which is about five o'clock nowadays yeah where the Tar Heels are four and oh this year at home guys enjoy the uh offensive lineman's favorite <laughs> holiday Thanksgiving and we'll catch up soon oh uh, definitely have a good one <laughs> see you guys thanks for listening to another podcast from insidecarolina.com Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.